Father, this evening, as we sit under your word, I pray, Father God, that you come and you speak to us. Holy Spirit, you're the one that break open the word to us and for us. And Father, tonight, come and interpret your word. Let it not be my words, let it not be my interpretation, but I pray for revelation, Father God, from heaven tonight in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. So um, I've asked that uh, we, we actually, as elders, have asked that you bring your Bibles with. So who's, who's brought their Bibles? And pens and, and uh, notebooks. And then what we've done as well is we kind of like put it out there that we're going to read together. Um, or actually, we're going to unpack Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Who's kind of read it? Who's read it today? And what do you see in there? What do you see? What did you see? Yo, what did you see? What did you see? Don't read me the scripture. What did you see? Cool. This will is good for us. Anybody got something else? Romans 12, 1. Living sacrifice. You know, that's an oxymoron, and I'll explain it. How can a sacrifice be living? <laughs> Anybody else? What else? William, what did you read? Hey, dedicate our whole lives. So what we're going to do is, somebody said, woohoo, old school. We're going to go old school tonight. We're going to go old school and do some Bible study. Okay. We've been doing uh, Bible reading with Stella. I think we should brand it, call it that, Bible reading with Stella. We <laughs> so who's been with Stella for the last two, three weeks in prayer? And Heidi, where's Heidi? Thank you very much. And um, that's basically what we're going to do. We're just going to sit under the Word of God and ask the Holy Spirit to also break open new things for us. And I want you to walk away here tonight with a new excitement. We were praying in the prayer meeting and for the time. But there's a hunger for the Word of God after tonight in your heart. Some of us struggle. I remember as a young Christian, I used to struggle a lot, actually, just reading the Bible until the Lord started breaking open the Bible to me. And now I can't stop. It's like you're mining for gold. You go and you just want to dig deeper and deeper and deeper. But let, just remember, we don't go beyond what Scripture actually tells us. So we want to do this in context. So turn with me to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. We don't have it on the board. You won't see any Scriptures behind me tonight. So if your expectation is that you're going to see a Scripture... It's in your Bible or on your phone or wherever you're reading it from. So Romans chapter 1, chapter 12, verse 1 says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And I think most of you are familiar with this scripture. Some of you might have read this for the first time. But most of us should be familiar with this scripture. This verse is really Paul's call to action. Paul is calling the readers of the book of Romans to, uh, to action. So that's where we want to start. In actual fact... He's giving us, in the next few verses, he's going to give us, and we're not going to look at all of them, so this is good homework for you, 
He's going to show you a way how not to waste your life. How to have a, a, a fruitful Christian walk by the next few verses. And he's also going to say this to you, that you are not truly committed to God unless these things, and I'll show that to you now, that Paul speaks of are true in your experience. So it's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a heavy in a way that Paul is saying. Because he starts off with the word, I urge you. I appeal to you. So let's start with that. Okay. And it literally means, what does that word, I urge you, in some of your translations, I read, I appeal to you. What does it really, really mean? It means this, to call to one's side. It is a picture of someone calling another to his side and then lovingly presenting his message to him. Paul is not overstepping his apostolic authority here. Paul is not forcing anything on anybody. He's calling them alongside. He's, he's saying, Mark, come stand here next to me. I would be Paul and he, he would be one of the Romans. And he would say, I appeal to you. I appeal to you, brother. I, I, I call you alongside me because I want to show you something that will help you in the future. It's really, in essence, an accountability. Thanks, Mark. That's what it is. When Paul calls us to attention, to come alongside, he's coming alongside like a father. He's coming alongside like a mentor this evening. So if you're making notes, you can make, make these notes. Because this sets up this whole chapter really for you. If you read it in that light. Paul is also not appealing just to our minds tonight. He's not just saying, I, I urge you uh, and, and, and beseech you and, and talk to your mind tonight. No, no, no. Paul is coming alongside like a dad, like a father. Okay. And I think often that's what we need to do with one another. I need to come alongside Mike and say, Mike, I appeal to you. I urge you, like a father, I come alongside you. And we'll see what he is urging them into. And I want to say this also, something about that appeal. It's not something that's just done once off. It's a constant appeal. It's a constant urging. The way that Paul is writing, he says, this is not just a once off that I'm doing it with you. I'm constantly urging you all the time. So that you don't become so familiar with Romans. Because most of us can quote Romans 12 verse 1 and verse 2. He says, I don't want you to become so familiar with these verses that it actually leads to passivity. That you just become passive. Oh, I know those verses. That's really what Paul is saying. He's like saying, don't just become just like, oh, I know the scriptures. Yeah, man, I can quote it. And, and I know what it's all about. Yeah, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your body as a living sacrifice. Yeah, I know it. Paul says, but, but do it. Don't become passive. That's the urging. And I think in the last days, it's going to become imperative that we urge one another. 
and encourage. The Bible actually says that often. Encourage one another as you see the day drawing closer, the day of the coming of the Lord. You see, because the verses of the truth that's following is life transforming. Paul may have had in mind the picture of the classic Greek. And the word here, this word I urge you is parakaleo, but don't worry about that. I will mention some of the Greek words. But in the classic Greek, this word means when a commander of an army is exhorting the troops about to go into battle. And when I read that, and I, it, was, it was Braveheart. Braveheart standing in front of the army and encouraging the troops that we're going into, into the battle. And I think that is such a beautiful picture of the church that we need to constantly, again, the Bible says, as the days become more evil, we need to urge one another. Okay. So something like this, this is how Paul would start. He would say, I appeal to you, I beseech you, I exhort you, I plead, I beg with you to make a decision of dedication. I want you to dedicate yourself. So let's move on. The next word that we see there is therefore. And if you've heard me preach a few times, you need to ask, always ask yourself, what is it? Therefore, if the word therefore, it actually always points to the preceding scriptures. Therefore, why? So what is it pointing to? It's pointing to the previous three chapter of three verses in chapter 11, three or four verses. In actual fact, yeah, from verse 33, it's pointing to that. Now, Read that quickly in your Bibles. Read Romans chapter 11 with me from verse 33 to verse 36 with intent. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, who has been his counselor, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. We call that in theology or in studying of the Bible, we call that a doxology, worship. That's all it is. Listen now. All theology, all the study of the Bible always needs to point to him so that you worship him. And that's what Paul is pointing to with the therefore. It's a reminder of what he just said. He says that I appeal not because of me, Paul, but because of him. It's all because of Jesus. There's another beautiful one in the book of Jude. Jude chapter 24. Jude's only got one chapter, really. So it's right at the end. Just before Revelation. Turn there quickly. Jude. And it's verse 24 and 25. We see another doxology. 
Verse 24 and 25 of Jude says this. Now to him. You see, it's similar. Very similar to this one. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God. Our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Man, if you just pray this, there is such beauty in the worship of the King. Okay. So the whole thing of of therefore, it will prompt you to view the facts. The circumstances of the preceding verses. You always look back into those verses. Every time you're going to see a therefore from today on, you're going to ask, what's it there for? And then read just above it. Remember that none of the scriptures was written in chapters and verses. These were letters. So you've got to read it in its entirety to really understand it. Okay. So Paul, typically, an act of fact, you'll see it in this, if you want to understand a little bit about Romans, he'll typically begin a letter. This is typical of Paul, the way that he writes, just a little bit of historical background. But he typically writes a letter with a strong doctrinal section in the beginning. So in act of fact, in, in Romans chapter 1 to chapter 11, he actually deals with a lot of doctrine. But then from chapter 12 to chapter 16, he deals with how do I live? So he's not just filling people's heads and hearts. He's filling their hands. And he says, this is how you live. So from this chapter, chapter 12 onwards, he's showing Christians how to live. Okay. That's a good thing to remember because the very next word that he's using is brothers. So he's writing to Christian brothers. He's not writing to the Jews at this present moment. Unless they're born again. He's writing to born again believers. He's not asking unbelievers to do all these things that's following. He's urging born again believers. So this is an encouragement for each one of us if you're a born again believer. Okay, that's why he's calling it brothers. And this word, brothers, is such a beautiful word. It's the word adelphos. comes from unity, ah, and delphos, womb. So it literally means from one womb. We are womb mates. There we go. I did it. I know. We are We are of one womb. We are born of the Spirit, the Bible says. So that's why we call one another brothers or sisters in Christ. Because we are of one womb. We are born of the Spirit, born of Him. Nicodemus asks this. He says, Jesus, what must I do? He says, you need to be born again. He says, but I can't. I I can't go back to my mother's womb. I can't. He says, no, 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 that's what I might mean. I mean you need to be born from above. You need to be born of the Holy Spirit, born of God. There's a new birth that takes place. You just don't become a better sinner with a little bit of grace. You become born again. You become a new creation. All has become new, the Bible says, 
All has passed. Everything has become new. God has taken the old heart of stone and has given you a brand new heart of flesh to receive the Holy Spirit. So that's why he is talking to brothers in this context. Fellowship because of identity. We have fellowship because of him. We have fellowship because of what Jesus did for each one of us. So if you're reading this tonight, you're reading this as an exhortation, as an encouragement, as a brother and a sister in Jesus Christ, each one of us. So what, he, what is following after verse 1 is family truth. He's speaking to the family here. Family truth. Paul is having a family moment now. He says, come, come kids, we're going to sit around the table. We're going to talk. Let me show you a better way. Let me show you a way to live your life. This is that talk. Let me show you a way that you're not going to waste your life. And the next thing is, by the mercies of God. Man, when I saw this. Look in Romans, so when, when, you, when you do a bit of a study, look for words like the word mercy around that. So, in chapter 11, verse 30, 31, and 32, it's mentioned four times, the word mercy. So, the book of Romans, it's not a book of love. It's a book of mercy. <laughs> the main theme of Romans is mercy. And I'll show you what mercy is. Can you see it? Did you see it there? Romans 11. Are you in your Bibles? Are you there? Romans 11, verse 30, 31, and 32. Four times you see the word mercy there. Some of you might have the word compassion, maybe. I don't know. Any other word than mercy there? Huh? Kindness. Oh, that's a good one. It is. Because he says, surely kindness and will follow you all the days of your life hey it will it's a good one i like that by the mercies of god so the key word in romans is mercy and what are mercies let's look at that quickly and the word mercies what it really means is to have compassion so now quickly flip over because now, now you're going to start doing cross-references. You're going to start reading other verses because the Bible interprets itself. Scripture interprets Scripture. So if you want to get the context of something, you need to start go looking for other verses that's linking up with this. And in this context, the word mercies that is used here is used one other time in Romans chapter 9 verse 15. Okay, so how did I get to these things? I don't know all these things, just by the way. I'm not that clever. I just Google faster than most of you. <laughs> so you find these things in commentaries. You find these things in, in, in study Bibles. So I would urge you, if you do study, that you start looking at study Bibles. You don't have to go buy all of them. You can literally download quite a lot of stuff. You can use Bible Hub. There is Blue Letter Bible. There's quite a few 
um, versions that you can get. So another thing I will urge you to do, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, is to try and get different Bibles. If you can't buy all of them, because there's quite a few, then you can download some of them. You get really good Bible programs on your cell phone. You'll be able to have them, actually. The ESV is for free. You can get that on your cell phone right now. Download it. Get it. It's a really good word-for-word translation. The NIV will give you a little bit of concept for concept. Okay, because the languages that it was written in, Aramaic, Hebrew, and Greek, is very big. Big languages. Explains a lot. So, there will be one word like mercies. And the word in the Greek would be oiktero. Oiktero. And oiktero means to have compassion. And it's used here in Romans chapter 9, verse 15. And it says this. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. That's the same word. It's the same word that's used there. To have pity. Which in turn is said to be derived from, from actually this, the, 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 the prefix of that word. Actually means, oh, oh, that I may show mercy. That I may show compassion. So that word is a compound word, really, if you look at the whole word together. But it means, oh, that I might have compassion on you. That is the nature of our king. And it's the inward feeling of compassion, which is in the heart. When you have compassion with somebody, it comes from your heart. It doesn't come from here, does it? Compassion comes from here. Now, you winky see SPCA. And you kind of go, oh, I have compassion for the doggy. Hey. And then you want like the doggy. Okay. How much more for people? How much more does God have for you and for me? How you start thinking scriptures like his mercies are new every morning. The word mercy is usually used in the plural, mercies. When it comes to God, when it's mentioned in connection with God, it's always used as a plural. The mercies of God. Okay. You guys learning something. Good. It presents or represents the display of concern over somebody or compassion with. The Latin word. So now you can go into different languages. You don't even have to stick with Greek and and Hebrew and things like that. Everything in the Old Testament will be Hebrew and Aramaic. Everything in the New Testament will predominantly be um, Greek because it was the speaking language of the Hebrews at that stage. In actual fact, they translated their Bible into Greek so that they can understand it. It was called the Septuagint. Hebrew was kind of a lost language at that stage. They all read Greek. But now Latin, so compassion, it's to bear with. That's what it means in, so I bear with, to suffer with. A sympathetic awareness of someone else's distress, their pain, their grief. You, you're actually aware of it. And 
It's not just that I'm aware of your problem and your grief and your heartache. I actually have a desire to ease it. And in the case of God, he's the only one that can do it. So when God says, I have compassion with you, it means I see your pain and I want to heal it. Because I can. Because that's how big our God is. Hey, beautiful. So compassion or mercies is that quality in God that moves him to deliver man from his state of sin. So if God's mercies are new every morning, every day, God is moved with compassion to deliver you from your sin. Every morning, God is moved with a compassion to set you free. Daniel, chapter 9, verse 9. Let's quickly flip there. Old Testament. I'll just read it. I've got it here written out. Daniel 9, verse 9 says, To the Lord our God belongs mercy or compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against Him. Because I'm a rebel. I have sinned against Him. The Bible says that He shows His mercy or his compassion towards us. There was a man that once said, Christ has done so much for me. The rest of my life is a PS at the end of the letter. A postscript for those of you who don't know. Because of his great mercies. So in other words, it's always about him. It's always about him. And the greater our comprehension of his mercy, if you understand tonight what God's compassion and mercy towards you is, the greater what he has done for us, then because of that, your commitment will be greater for him. And that's the following thing that we, by the mercies, that's why Paul implores them. He says, you can't do this on your own. You first got to see the compassion of the Father. And because of the compassion of the Father that, that He's got towards you, then you can commit. So Jesus' gift, it's Jesus' gift. We need to meditate on it. We need to take it. We need to accept it. Take it to our heart. And this will become a magnet. His compassion will really become a, a, a magnet to draw us deeper into Him. I wrote this down. Immense vision will bring immense commitment. If you've seen Jesus, if you've seen what it is like and what it's like towards you, there will be a commitment. And this is what Isaac Watts, I don't know if you guys know this song. When I survey the wondrous cross, love so amazing, so divine, Demands my soul, my life, my all. That's what it is. Everything. Then the next thing is that we see in that scripture is the word to present. And I want to, actual fact, there was this little girl. And the, the, we, have, we have boxes. I wanted to do it with our boxes, but I think I might break it. But So the collection plates in her church would go around. 
And when the collection plate came to her, she put it down on the ground and she stood inside it. She says, because they taught me in children's church that I must give everything. So that's the thing. She understood. It's not just about the money that you give. You should climb into that little box and give yourself wholeheartedly. And that's really what it says here when Paul asks, present yourself. Give yourself wholeheartedly, fully, 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 fully. And the word here, it means to place or sit beside or near, to place at someone's disposal. So I go, I'm yours. Use me, Lord. So when Paul's asking, when he's appealing and urging, he's not doing this because of your own strength. He says, you can't present yourself. You can only present yourself once you understand the mercies of God that we just looked at. The compassion. Look at this. Sometimes it's good to go into the English dictionary and just look at these words, what they mean. In the English dictionary, it notes to present is to bring or introduce into the presence of someone, especially of superior rank or status, to make a gift. Huh? Even the English dictionary understand what Christianity is about. I make a gift. I give myself, Lord. I give myself. To convey to another as a possession. I don't belong to myself. I belong to Jesus. I belong to him. So that's what Paul is saying here in this scripture. Guys, give yourself wholeheartedly to Jesus. It's your choice. But look at his compassion. And then you make your commitment. Understand what his compassion is all about. His mercies. It's a yielding. It's a surrender. See, here's a question that I asked myself as I was studying this scripture. Does God have all of me? Does God have all of me? Does he, does he have your body? Does he have your, your hands and your feet? And he can send you wherever he wants to. And if you actually get to that answer and you go, actually, no. Then today is the day that you can give yourself to Jesus. So in the next word, what does he ask you to present? Your bodies. Your bodies. And Oswald Chambers, I found this beautiful quote. He said this. There is actually only one thing you can dedicate to God. And that is your right to yourself. I'm going to say it again. There is actually one, only one thing you can dedicate to God. And that is your right to yourself. As a Christian, I've given up all rights. I belong to him. 
Bible tells me that he owns me. He bought me. That t-shirt, his blood paid my debt. I mean, when I looked at it, Sam, I was just like, like, Sam, get up. They don't know what. I'm pointing at you, and they're like, what? Sam's got a t-shirt on and says, his blood paid my debt. I had debt. In actual fact, the Bible tells us that in Romans 6.23, that the wages of sin is death. There's a wage that I need to pay because of my sin. But Jesus came and he paid that price. And this is the thought. This is the idea. This was also in earlier in it that Paul was mentioning that. So give yourself. I don't have any rights. And when he says the word body, it's not just this, this thing. It's every part of you. So it's not really used as just the physical body. So this word is not just used as it's the complete man. The whole, the part representing the whole. So if he uses the word bodies, it's not just, I'm, you know, here's my body, Lord. Use my body. No, no, no. He says, I want you. I want your body. I want your spirit. I want your soul. I want your will. I want your fears. I want your anxieties. I want your dreams. I want everything. All. God wants all of your body on the sacrifice, on the altar. Not like half of it. So the next word is the word living sacrifice. Which for me is quite an interesting concept. I don't know if you've thought about it. But like I said, it's an oxymoron. Because once you've sacrificed something, it's actually dead. But... You always have to bring a living animal. You can't bring a dead animal to an altar. You always, in the Old Testament, you had to bring a living animal. And then once he's on the altar, he got killed and then sacrificed. But Paul is trying to explain something here when he says this concept of living sacrifice. So stick with me quickly. It is actually a contradiction in terms. And... We can look at Romans 6, verse 11, quickly. You are in Romans, so you should be able to quickly flip over in your Bible. Romans 6, verse 11. Guys, I'm almost done. I know it's hot in here. Romans 6, verse 11 says this. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So when I became a born again Christian, I'm dead. And that's what Paul also used in Galatians 2 verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God and what he has done for me. I'm paraphrasing. I'm not quoting it. Go read Galatians 2 verse 20. So it is true that an animal sacrifice were living when they were brought to the altar. A dead animal, like I told you, can't be brought to the sacrifice. But as they are offered, they were dead. And believers, as believers, we are dead to sin. I'm going to just quote Romans 6 verse 2. You guys can go read it. Actually, in fact, go read the whole of chapter 6. 
Because it's actually doctrinally is explaining to you what is happening, what happened to you when you're born again. So in Romans 6 verse 2, he says that you, but then he says you live with Christ in Romans 6 verse 8. And then in Romans 6 verse 13, he says this very important thing. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present, there's that word as well. Again, we see that. Paul uses that whole thing of presenting yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. So as you are offered, as you are dying, you become alive. And that's kind of our motto of our church, dying to live. And the whole of your life will be one of death, burial, and resurrection. And some of you are in places of burial. You feel like you've been left on the shelf and God's not seeing you. But there's a resurrection coming. This is salvation. All of us, we die, we're buried, we become alive. All of this happens in our lives. Even as we walk with Jesus, there are things that I'm dying to daily. Daily. I've got to take captive thoughts. I've got to fight against things after 31 years with the Lord. I've still got to fight these things. Then he comes to this point. Why? What is your living sacrifice? It's a holy and it needs to be acceptable to God. What does that mean? Holy and acceptable. It means to be set apart for God. Holy means God chooses it and he sets it apart. It's his. If it's holy, it's God's. You are different because he chose you. You're going to look different. The world's going to look at you different. If you're a born-again Christian, I can tell you right now, the world's most probably going to hate you because they hated Jesus. And this word holy is the word that describes believers as saints. What is acceptable? It means proper. It means agreeable. It literally means well-pleasing. So it's not just set apart, but it's also pleasing to God. When I sacrifice myself, when that living sacrifice, when I'm on the altar and I'm dying to myself, it is pleasing to God. Because the less there is of me, the more they can be of him. Who's, who, uh, Donnie prayed it, deader. Who, no, no, was it Wade? Wade, Wade prayed that we become deader. I, I don't know what, like deader. I want to get dead, deader, deadest. Yeah. <laughs> it is something that is well approved. I want to ask you this evening, is Jesus 
pleased. Is Jesus pleased? And then lastly, what is your spiritual? It's your spiritual, in actual fact, I'll look at that now, worship. So spiritual is, is the word that is also used in um, 1 Peter 2 verse 2. Let's quickly turn there. 1 Peter 2 verse 2. Like newborn infants long for this pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. This is the same word that is used as this one. And the word is translated um, of the word. It's the word logikos that we get logos from, actual fact, the word. And an actual fact, if you, if you want to explain what this is, it is more about your reasonable service, your rational service unto God. It's not from a place of ritual, oh, I'm just doing this, I've got to do the Christian thing, I've got to go to church, I've got to read my Bible, I've got to pray, I've got to worship, I've got to, no, no, no. It's rational. You actually thought about this. You sit down, you dedicate yourself. And the word worship here is the word service. It's the word service, which is your reasonable or rational service unto God. So when you become a loving sacrifice, that is what pleases God. He is happy with your service. That is my service unto Him. It's my ministry performed to God. Because I'm a priest. I worship Him. I'm a believer priest. It's my sacred service. I want to read this to you in ending. Worship is really nothing more or less than being what you were made to be. And doing what you were made to do. When a flower blooms, it is worshiping God. When a bird sings, it is worshiping God. When a plant grows, fulfilling its appointed task with its leafy arms outstretched, it is worshiping God. When a man, right in the midst of his daily life, right where he lives and where he works, right in the midst of those circumstances, is being flooded with God himself, he is worshiping God. The worship of a Christian isn't confined to those moments on Sunday like we just done. When he gathers with others in church. But it's just, that's just a corporate worship. We worship God all day long. When in some small or even obscure way, we become the visible manifestation of God to someone, then we have worshipped. It's our reasonable, rational service, our logical Makes sense. Makes sense of all that God has done for me. This is now just what I return back to Him. God's best has been given to you. What is your best to Him? Well, Mark, in Mark 8 verse 34 it says, You take up your cross daily. 
That's your logical service unto God. That's your, your reasonable, your spiritual worship unto God. It's taking up your cross. And I want to say there's a once-off commitment that we make. Yes, we say, yes, Lord, we follow you. Once-off. But it's followed by little commitments. By little commitments, adjustments, and surrenders. And tonight is one of those nights where you can make little adjustments, little commitments again to the Lord, little surrenders, tweakings. Let's just close our eyes. I know some of you might be writing. But just that, those moments. I know we've gone on a little bit longer, but I want you to see how much Jesus loves you. I want you to see tonight the richness of his word as he breaks it open. Life is a series of commitments, adjustments, and surrenders. And tonight you can give yourself. You can turn over to God the most valuable thing you can give, and that's yourself.